Hello and welcome to another episode of From Stretford to Singapore. Today we're going to be talking about that time when you just arrive in a new country, when everything is unfamiliar, when you have to start again. And that means finding a structure, getting into a new routine and really importantly, getting out there and making friends. Now, I've been in Singapore nearly 10 years now, but I vividly remember what it was like when I was new. And I'm delighted to be joined in the studio today by three women who've got three very different stories about um, their journeys across the world and how they've made sense and made lives for themselves in multiple locations. So I'm joined um, today by um, Ong Peng, so um, welcome, Ong Peng. Thank you. And just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I'm Chen Ong Peng, Singaporean, and uh, I left Singapore for London in 1995 with my husband and a very young toddler then. But we came back um, almost 15 years later. So it's good to be back here now. Yeah, so lots of stories there. And um, I'm also joined by Lottie. Hi. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm Lottie. I'm um, Irish, but been living in the UK since my early twenties. And I came to Singapore uh, a little over a year ago with four teenage children and a husband. Um, and it's the first time we've ever moved out of the UK. So it was a big change for me, but very much for four teenage children. I can imagine. <laughs> my goodness. And we're also joined by Florence as well. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I'm Florence. And um, originally from Canada, lived in Dubai for five years where I had uh, two small children and we just relocated about two years ago to Singapore. Wow. So um, so there we go. So, you know, from from different areas in the globe and and, uh, you know, and with different family circumstances as well. Um, Lottie, just starting with you, four teenagers. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was a big change, and uh, it was not something that we ever expected to do. So um, all our kids have been born and raised in the same house in London, and suddenly, about uh, yeah, uh, eighteen months ago, we we realised that um, uh, my husband needed to work. He'd had a four year break, um, uh, which was kind of retirement. But then you realise with fourteen age private school. <coughs> fees to pay that actually that wasn't quite such a good idea yeah. so um uh so yeah so we we suddenly had to move um to singapore because the kind of work that he was doing had changed uh, massively in the uk and the opportunities were in southeast asia so um so yeah so we arrived with a just trying to think now they were uh 11 13 16 and then an older one who wasn't supposed to come here but ended up um he was supposed to be going to university so he wasn't even going to come with us at all, but uh, things changed for him and he decided to take a gap year. So we suddenly had a 19-year-old come over here about three, four months after we arrived. Yeah, so th that's interesting with, you know, all those different, um, you know... Dynamics. Dynamics in yeah. the family. Yeah. Um, and then you obviously having to settle them, really, before you concentrated on yourself, I imagine. Uh, 
yeah, I think I probably would say I did it in parallel because otherwise you'd go bananas. You know, if you're just constantly sort of parenting 24-7, um, you actually become a rather bad parent yeah. um, and very sort of stretched. So, I, I, you know, I was totally going out and trying to meet people as well myself. But um, we were all desperately homesick in, you know, different kinds of ways and responding to the environment in, in different kinds of ways. So, um, you know, I had one child who went out and she... Uh, really made friends very quickly and we kind of thought she was doing fine but actually she was the one who was struggling the most but she just sort of had the sort of social skills the sort of veneer that she was getting in there and, and making things work but uh, but it was actually really took its toll on her and about sort of eight months in she just sort of started feeling really um, desperately unhappy um, and hid it whereas the others all looked like they were sort of struggling the boys kind of looked like they were struggling a lot and not making friends but weirdly enough they kind of got on with it after a while and and then it was it was okay so everyone's sort of done it in different I'm not really explaining this very well but they've all done it in different ways it's not a linear uh transition mm -hmm. for everyone yeah and I think that's a, a, an, an interesting observation as well for when you are new in uh, in, in, a, in a new country um, that first year and I know you're just in you know just over a year here it's it you know the the pendulum swings up and down you know yeah. there's days when when you know when it's great and days days when it isn't yeah it's a really crooked road <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah yeah and Ongpeng you've done an interesting thing you've actually repatriated um, and had to start again in your own country. Um, was that more difficult than the expatriation? I don't know. Uh, um, but I guess um, the main thing was to settle our son into a fairly new environment because when he left Singapore, he was only a toddler. So he never really lived on new Singapore. And we came back because of him, uh, for him to... Uh, carry out his national service duties, compulsory military service for 18-year-olds. So soon after his A-levels in London, we came up and he registered for enlistment. So the first thing was actually to get him to get acclimatized with the high humidity and having to work out uh, physically. Um, so that was our first focus, our primary focus. The second person uh, was my husband, because he's not a Singaporean, and for him to come to Singapore, although he's not new to Singapore, having worked here three years before we left uh, for London, it's also to, for him to make friends and find things to do. We uprooted ourselves from London, and we decided to give up our careers to be back here. So we were actually quite free. And, but what do we do with the time once our son started uh, his, na the, uh, his national service? So for him, it was a question of um, joining clubs, with uh, doing activities with like-minded people. In his case, uh, it was golf, and he relished the prospect of playing golf you know, in such brilliant weather all the time. So through, golf, uh, through golfing and in a golf club, he made friends, and I think that helped settle him. As for me, because I come from this neck uh, of the world, um, it was reconnecting with family and old school friends and old um, colleagues in the office. So, but it took a while because friends obviously um, are busy with their work routine. They are not there for you when you want them, obviously, and their families to look after too. So 
for me, family and friends were the way for me to reconnect back to Singapore. Yeah, and and um, that whole um, connection and reconnection, Florence, you've had to do that in two countries, you know, because you've you know com- come from Canada to mm-hmm. Dubai and then from Dubai to Singapore. How did you manage those transitions? Because you've got very young children. Yeah, so it's really funny. Um, the approach that I took when coming here was totally different from Dubai. Um, when I moved from Canada to Dubai, I was kind of um, really enthusiastic and I picked up a lot of different people along the way. And then about a year in, I felt really exhausted because I thought to myself, do I even have anything in common with these women or is it just because we have small children? And when I took a step back, I realized, yeah, there were a handful that I genuinely liked and we had a lot of the same interests, the same values. But there were handfuls of women that I I just picked up because I was nervous to be lonely. So one of the things that I did the second time around was make a list of the things I wasn't going to do again. And that was it. I was only going to connect with women who I truly felt that I had a connection with and really give those women my time so I wasn't stretching myself too thin. And I think with two small children, having children, you know, that that kind of is your in with friendships. Um, but I'm not just a mom and I have so many different, you know, interests that um, coming to Singapore, I made a point of making sure that I also made connections with women who had interests, um, you know, share the same interests. So I do have my mommy friends and then I have, you know, a group of women who I love fashion. So, you know, they're fashionistas. They like to shop. They like to talk about fashion. And, and that gives me joy. And then I have my yoga girlfriends. So I, I really kind of the approach to coming to Singapore was totally different than the first time around, for sure. Gosh, that, that's incredibly interesting because it's so purposeful. And um and, and that, I think, is fantastic advice for everybody because you can stretch yourself very thin. Um, I, I, you know, when I first came here, I joined everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I did exactly what you did in, in Dubai. I mean, I, I, I got out there. I mean, I am a pretty gregarious person, um, so <laughs> that actually worked very well for me. Um, but there does come a, a time when like like your daughter mm. Lottie you know it's that thing of you've got to draw back and and kind of set uh you know new parameters for yourself because you will literally fall over with exhaustion if, if you spread yourself too thin and you end up not you know n- not being a good friend and not being good to yourself and and not be you know and I imagine uh, you know in in terms of um family as well you know you just y- y- your partner suffers everybody suffers if you're if you're spread too thinly but um Lottie I have discovered that you can be incredibly tired and still stay standing up actually I'd like to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's absolutely yeah. amazing our capacity for resilience yeah it's um, amazing isn't it yeah yeah, yeah I know and, and yeah and, and yes and capacity to speak and capacity exactly to do exactly everything. and still make sentences yeah, yeah. <laughs> with your yeah. eyes shut exactly yeah, yeah. no yeah um, no but I think you're absolutely right I think you know, spreading yourself too thin is, is a really is a really good way to uh, to look at it. But also, as you said about finding, you know, sort of interests and things that sort of are, you know, they might be an activity, but they're still quite sort of soothing and they're sort of nourishing for the soul. So I learned Mahjong when I came over here, which is 
been really brilliant for me because I kind of think it's my Alzheimer's, you know, proofing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exercises that part of the brain, but... Um, is it scientifically proven? No, this is my own anecdotal sort of. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just working a part of my brain that hasn't been worked for quite a long time. So, um, but uh, but you know, it was a nice sort of connection Aww. with something that was here as well, and sort of connecting with the culture here as well as then trying to find all of my um, my sort of more homesick markers that would sort of make me feel a bit more comfortable. And and I noticed actually, I was really attracted. to to um, people from Ireland. I know that sounds a bit weird. I, so I, I haven't lived in Ireland since I was in my early 20s, but I've been living in London, which is, you know, the same as. And in London, I was friends with English people and I, you know, I had a few um, Irish friends, but very, very few because I was seeing them all in Dublin all the time. But when I came here, I found myself being naturally attracted to people who had the same frame of reference. So if they mentioned Tato Crisps, we would all laugh because we know what that means. (laughs) You know, there was just sort of, and and they've become my friendship group here, um, which I was quite surprised about. And yeah. Yeah, but I think that's something that, you know, reaching for the comfort Mm. of things is not, you know, it, it does help, it does soothe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And be, you know, whether it's the church or, or a hobby or or something or, or just listening to familiar radio programs or whatever it is mm. that you, you know, that reminds you of home mm. or that puts you into a, a, a very relaxed that situation it helps that's actually pretty interesting because in Dubai, oddly enough, so my parents, they're both um, Italian who they immigrated to Canada. And a lot of my girlfriends in Dubai happened to be Italian. And so I remember sitting around a table and I can speak the language, um, but I can understand it better than I speak it. So we would sit around a table and they'd speak Italian and I'd feel, I'd feel at home actually. So that's, that's pretty interesting. I never, I never really thought of, am I gravitating towards these people because it reminds me of my parents. Or is it the food? (laughs) A bit of both maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Ong Tang, when you were in London, what did you do uh, to help to remind you of Singapore? Uh, well, certainly Singapore food, seeking out uh, restaurants that serve laksa, nasi lemak, and they were few and far between in I those days. I was about days. to say, <laughs> I was going to ask few. where they were. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, I was working in Soho, and Soho being Soho, with a whole myriad of uh, restaurants, and if there's one place that has a lot of foreign stuff, it would be Soho. So I managed to find one Malaysian restaurant called Malati, I can still remember. So that was my canteen. Oh yeah, so that's where yes, that's <laughs> that's where you went for a bit of soul food. Oh, definitely, of, yeah. definitely. And of course, Chinatown is not far away from Soho. So every time um, I wanted something Chinese, uh, I would go pop down to Chinatown to pick up some stuff. But then, you know, as you might have come across uh, living in Singapore, not many of us Singaporeans can cook very well. Um, for all kinds of reasons, which I won't go into at the moment. So buying the ingredients is one thing, or having access to the ingredients is one thing. Knowing how to cook like the way your mum cooks is quite another. So there were many expensive phone calls back home. How do I put together these gr- ingredients to make it taste <laughs> like home? So that was how I survived. Yeah. I think food is so important, mm. actually. I, I found that was my you know everyone goes on about how wonderful the food is in singapore and indeed there are many yeah. restaurants but 
I really took a long time to to settle, you know, to to find the food that I wanted to eat in the first few months I was here. Mm. I, that was what I was really homesick for. But what kind of food were you looking? I think it was it was more. That's a good, I think it was more a manifestation of the homesickness, to be honest, and, and things just not being the same. Yeah. And uh, and I and it and it really I took it. I I really zeroed in on it's just everything I ate just didn't seem to satisfy me it was and and yet you know I felt like I, I was overwhelmed with choice but but, but yet nothing I like I didn't like anything but it's also finding those like comforts from you know the comfort food from home but even like I I know when my first time in a grocery store here it should take you like 20 minutes and you're in and out and I spend an hour walking down the aisles just having a look at everything and reading all the labels and making sure like are these eggs even though they look like eggs you know yeah. <laughs> so but at, you know with the, with two small children and it seems so silly but when you relocate to a different country these kinds of things become your concerns you know They're my favorite thing when i go on holiday is to go to a local supermarket and yeah. look at all the interesting things but it's completely exhausting when you're actually doing <laughs> yeah. that all the time yeah. so it's either the supermarket or the chemist so you know yeah. you're looking yes. for all oh, of the yes. yeah. all of the new products that you can get here that you can't get at home and yeah. vice versa. You know that's another. Those are the two big destinations. Yeah. 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 But I bet these concerns are not shared by our male counterparts. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> probably less so. But <laughs> the food. I think the food is equal actually because yeah. I, I had a lot of conversations um, with my husband where he was really struggling to find His lun local. lunch. Yeah, his lunch canteen, like you were talking mm. about in Soho, and and um, just not not finding it, and wanting a sort of more European um, option, and uh, there wasn't there, and then suddenly the Funan building opened up, and yeah. now there's lots of choice for him, so he's quite happy. Yeah. So but that thing you were saying about food, I found it with um, mm. it is a sensory thing, isn't it, when you move countries mm. that. It's either taste, um, but it's also smell. And uh, um, I noticed, because everyone used to talk about um, when you move, you know, at some point you'll find your new normal, which um, I found a really irritating phrase until <coughs> I achieved it. But it, I noticed it through my sense of smell. So when I was here um, for the first sort of six months, I would constantly be assaulted by the different smells coming out of shops and cafes and um, the bakeries like toast box and things like that where you could just smell sugary sort of wheat it's a very pacific smell and my actually. son my eldest son and i used to walk past it and i go it's a bakery and he said it just smells so weird and i said yeah it smells fake and so we renamed them the fakeries <laughs> 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 went past but but the smell was a constant thing i couldn't get away from and um uh and it was everywhere it was and it wasn't just food it was just the air and the MRT station and it just kept on telling me I'm in a totally different place I'm in a totally different place yeah. and it's sort of like a, a re-shocking and then after six months I remember taking the MRT and walking home and suddenly realizing that I couldn't smell anything anymore mm -hmm. and it wasn't because I lost my sense of smell it's just that it had regulated and and I thought okay <laughs> you know yeah. I'm here yeah. And uh, I've acclimatized. Yeah, and it's the sounds as well. Yes, you know you're yeah. you're assaulted by a lot of different sounds, and 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 then suddenly that disappears yeah. as well. That becomes the new normal. Yeah, yeah. talking about sound. When I, when we first moved to London, the most enduring sound was hearing sirens constantly, and police siren as well as ambulance sirens. And 
we never we don't hear this in Singapore. You, you hardly actually, hear. Hardly in fact, you hardly ever. see a policeman in Singapore, let let alone hear a siren. And also, uh, ambulance sire, sirens hardly, unless you live very close to a hospital. Mm. But in London, it. You know, when we first moved, it, we stayed in a service apartment in Chelsea, and wasn't far from Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. It was a constant reframe for us, day and night, and that was the biggest sound shock for our systems. Yeah, mm. you, you are right. There's very few siren sounds here. It's really funny you should say that because I went back to London this summer, and I was we were living in Hammersmith, and uh, and I couldn't. I just felt like I'd suddenly walked into a war zone again, and I was thinking it must have always been like this, but it was so stressful <laughs> um, listening to the sirens all the, time. all the time. Yeah, that's funny, and I hadn't actually realised that it was a um, a thing. I'd oh. got used to it. Yeah, but another um, interesting thing when you know when you're sort of settling into. Uh, you know, back well into a new country um, is trying to find um, you know yourself maybe professionally as well as personally. And Florence, you you're, you've started a new business. How's that going? Yeah. So I, um, you know, going back to that whole Dubai situation, I I thought, okay, I'm going to get the kids settled and the house settled, and then I'm going to hit the ground running, and I'm I'm just going to go for it. And so. Um, I'm an editorial stylist and a personal shopper. So I remember about two and a half years ago, there was still Singaporean Fashion Week was still on and still a thing. And I just went for it, you know, just dug deep into how I can volunteer, how I can meet the volunteers or the organizers and through different associations. And what I realized in Singapore, um, so many expat women here, they start their own labels and brands. And so there's the, of course, boutiques fair that happens twice a year. Mm-hmm. And so I really made a point to just put myself out there and tell everyone who I am and what I do. And um, it's been actually fantastic, the amount of support that I've had and, and jobs that I've been able to pick up because of it. Um, but that's a constant effort. Well, it's yeah. a, it's a it's a reinvention, isn't yes. it? So, yeah. uh, it, it, in one way, it's incredibly liberating mm-hmm. because you can decide, you know, to take a huge step change and do something else. Mm-hmm. But in another way, again, it's very raw because you, it's unfamiliar. Yes, you know, and well, I don't know what what you um, you two have found. Work wise. Um, I was asked by my previous employer, my broadcasting employer, to go back um, to where I came from, but I decided not to, uh, not because the work is no longer uh, interesting, but because I've been away from Singapore and this part of the world for so long, I wanted to rediscover uh, Asia and Southeast Asia with my family particularly. So I wanted to spend time with them as well as traveling around the region with them. So work-wise, there is no goal for me there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's it's it was a reestablishment, you know, of uh, you know of social ties, was was the priority. Yeah. And also to find something else other than work to do in Singapore. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was working in the UK up until July of, um, before we we came, and I was a couples therapist. So um, it's something that you do for a very long period of time and there are some very old very good couple therapists so um uh i was able to stop and come here and take a break and look after the kids obviously and see them the priority obviously was to settle all four of them into their various different um 
slots and um, and then work out what I was going to do. But what I um, I'm rambling a bit. I'm so sorry. No, no. I think what I've worked out coming over here is that actually I feel incredibly creative having moved out of the environment I was in for a very long period of time. And it kind of sort of freed me up to think of so many different ways that I could either apply the skills that I have already or build on them or, you know, do something else completely different. Um, and, um, and that's really exciting, actually. That's probably been the most pleasurable thing to discover about moving it you know, middle age. I'm I'm going to absolutely jump in on that because it's it's what I felt as Mm. well. I left the past behind. Well, I was at the... Sounds <laughs> sounds like you know just I ran into the sunset. <laughs> um, I, I don't quite mean it like that, but I mean I I I'd reached the stage in my career actually where I was just I I, I wanted a change and and I didn't expect to move a, abroad. It was a very unexpected move, and you know I, I was middle aged and those kind of things didn't happen. But you know I have to say it was my husband who got the opportunity to come over. Um, and therefore, I had to leave everything behind because I I was the one starting again. And uh, but it it was a liberation mm. in that it, it, you know it was I don't I don't have to do what I did before. I can actually explore a second act that is completely different. Mm, yeah. And and I think it sharpens up your perception um you know you, you start to look at new possibilities and and then and you, t- you take um you take more risks mm. I mean I was incredibly risk adverse for yeah. the first half of my life you know I, I, mm. I clung on to things um you know I docked onto motherships and stayed there <laughs> you know it was like yeah. a barnacle but now you know I am I, more fluid and I you know and I explore new things and and I see other people doing yeah. that as well I mean this is not just a personal thing yeah. this is you know you, you do yeah. see other people who are forced into a, a big geographical move you know becoming I more think fluid. that's I the just, sorry I was ju- I was only I'm jumping in because I just yeah. want to um articulate something which is that as you're talking about this I'm thinking what is it that makes you feel like you can change all the rules so you can rip up the rule book and is it something about there is a sort of unconscious self-consciousness about where you live you know in your family and your community that might stop you from pursuing those things and that actually being physically forced into a completely new geographical location where nobody knows you which mm. is okay homesick and sadness making but it's also at the same time completely freeing because you can just sort of try out anything and you really can reinvent yourself really yeah, there's yeah. no one there yeah. to go but you then weren't like that last exactly week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. region yeah. and tonics that's just yeah. a bit too much <laughs> yeah cause it's true you know you can but i guess it also depends on too like where you are um financially in your life too mm-hmm. right and so I, I know for a lot of expat um, families that are coming over, whether it's, you know, the the husband or the wife or what the case may be, you do have that flexibility of one partner staying home yeah. versus, yes, you know, true. when I when I was living in Canada, that, that wasn't an option for us. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I think as um, an expat, like I that's the, the biggest plus that's been the biggest you know, that, that financially we can, um, you know, Rob can still work. We have a fantastic life. The children are happy. And I have the opportunity now to be more creative mm-hmm. and not to have to worry about 
that side of that's a you know that's a huge point actually that we you know a lot of pretty blessed yeah pretty blessed absolutely a lot of um Mm. expat couples one of them will take on the lion's share of of the finance of of generating the money while you know the the other one is given more creative freedom but of course there's nothing for nothing and with the fact you know i've i've met a lot of people you know having they've had to give up their career Mm. and it's been a heartbreak for them so there is a very delicate balance yes between those things and um for some people they make that transition in a very purposeful and fruitful way and then for others it doesn't quite work out like that and I must admit if if you know now I'm sort of 10 years into living in a new country um I, I can look back on it and and know that I th- there were certain things that happened in the first few months that I was here that set that set me up on a road um, that I was incredibly lucky to be on. And a lot of it was, you know, I'm a great believer in, yes, if you work hard, you're generally more lucky than if you don't. But sometimes luck does pay an an incredible part in your life. Mm -hmm. And you can just be in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, and and I'm eternally grateful for the times that I have been in the right place at the right time. Mm. And, and, it's, and it's worked out. But can it's I the knowing when you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and, sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes you can only do that in hindsight. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> yes. I mean, if we were all yeah. blessed with the... With the uh, magical. Y- with the magical hindsight <laughs> eye, yes, right. we'd, all, we'd all re- rewrite yeah. our histories. Yeah. Another yeah. blessing, I think, is in a place like Singapore is to have domestic help and I can't overestimate or underestimate the importance of this because like for a lot of expatriate families that I see the wives are free to pursue their passions yes they do look after their children but they also have the time to do other things whether it's you know going to the museum or joining museum type of activities with FOM, Friends of the Museum, or even AWA, for example. And the same goes for um, the local women as well, local Singaporean women. If not for the easily available domestic help, I think life and the pursuit of uh, career and happiness will be quite a different scenario. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point as well. Um, I mean, it it's something that hasn't affected me personally uh, because I, I I don't have children, so you know it was just the two of us, and, and we can we can manage that ourselves. But um, I, I I know that uh, for a lot of families that has made a huge difference. Mm. Yeah, less to juggle on your plate. <laughs> yeah, I, I, funnily enough, I think I probably did more in London than I than than I do here, and I and mm. I had a completely sort of different setup there, but. Um, uh but definitely it's yeah i mean we have an amazing um uh christina yes. uh, and uh she is yeah she's really extraordinary and uh, uh it's definitely um uh, yeah a great sort of enjoyment um but i yeah i kind of look at it as a sort of a rare thing to uh, <laughs> 
to enjoy briefly and then uh, and then know I shall be going back to normal life in London <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Doing your dishwashing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there any anything else um, that anybody's found that really worked for them when they were, you know, coming into the new country, settling in? What was the one thing that made the biggest difference in terms of making friends? I had two things I think I was um, I had at the beginning um, and this is partly because I'd been living in a community for a very long period of time before I moved to Singapore but when I left London everybody said to me I've got one friend in Singapore I'm going to put you in contact with them and I literally came with this sort of bizarre sort of black book of email addresses um, and I went out and I met every single one of them and uh, uh, and they were often from very, very different social groups of mine that I had across London. So there wasn't necessarily any connecting factor. But of course, the funny thing is the people I like in London that have become my close friends, of course, I'm then going to like their friends. And then I'll discover that their friends all know each other. So actually, this random set of names then all turned out to be highly interconnected over here. Um, and that was brilliant. Uh, and the other thing is that I have a dog and I uh, went and walked in the Botanic Gardens every morning and I talked to lots of random strangers because everyone came to pet the dog and I had all sorts of unusual and really useful conversations and I used to joke that I could go into the Botanic Gardens with one question to be answered and I'd come out with the answer whether it was a new vet or <laughs> joining yeah. a choir which was another one um, or making a friend you know I made lots of friends as well through that so yeah dogs are really useful yes. <laughs> they're <laughs> good icebreakers yes, yeah dogs are, and, and one name yeah one name can make <laughs> yeah. a huge difference and that happened to me I knew I um a friend of my sister's put me in touch with um Joanna and I when I came to Singapore that was the only person that I I knew I didn't have a big I only only had that one name and and that made a huge difference to me settling in it's yeah. true uh, you know that just that one name yeah yeah um kind of similar in uh, in Dubai when we realized that we were moving out to Singapore um I kind of threw it out there and then you know people made connections for me mm. and so then when we came over it was making the effort to meet them for a coffee. Um, but like I said before, um, for me, I had kind of a, in my mind that I was going to just make, make genuine friendships, you know, and really spend quality time with the people that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I really like that advice, actually. I think that, that, um, that works particularly, yeah, I, mean, I think that, that will work particularly well for a lot of people, yeah. I would mm. say, um, Pursue your hobbies and your passions, mm. and you're bound to meet like-minded people either in your clubs or in different organizations. Like in my case, uh, FOM has been a haven for me, you know, intellectually as well as socially. You meet people with shared interests, and do you you expand your network of friends and friendships that way? Yeah. Uh, so there you go all wonderful advice from three wonderful women and Thank I'm, I'm going to end with just reading an excerpt of um, an ebook that I have published recently and it's my recollection of what it was like to be new in Singapore um, and, and here it is are they for your kids the lady at the supermarket asked as she checked a packet of mini Kit Kats through the till. I laughed nervously, thought of lying, and instead said a firm no. The for me, 
yes me, curled up later under a duvet in frigid air conditioning, sipping tea and munching a pathetically small piece of chocolate while reading a book. It was 2pm on day three in Singapore and I was in bed, disorientated by lack of structure and purpose, nowhere to go and no one to see. Tempting as it was to continue this solitary indulgence of reading, eating chocolate and, li- and binge listening to BBC Radio 4 period dramas, I realised that, that if I was to have any life, and importantly any friends, and even the possibility of a job, I had to plan for at least one day, one time in the day where I got off my backside, got out of the apartment and met actual people. I had to get into the habit of turning up. Getting out there and making friends in adulthood is awkward and complicated. It's like dating, but more difficult with even trickier personal chemistry. You have to turn up prepared, looking bright, armed with killer chat-up lines. The first few weeks in a new country is absolutely the time to amp up the best version of yourself. In order to make this happen, I became a champion joiner. Like an unfortunate child who constantly dashes to the cool kids, beseeching, can I play? I turned up with a vengeance. No group was safe from my eager face popping up at its gatherings. The British Association, the Irish Association, Primetime Women's Professional and Business Association, the the American Association of Singapore. Hey, they had a careers resource centre and I joined because I wanted a job. I joined them all. Even the informal young men's group at the local mall who ran once a week, (laughs) they cheerfully allowed me to join them. Come run with us, Auntie, but better keep up, La. Oh, yes, I worked hard to keep up and turn up. And in doing so, I knocked two minutes off my 10K time. So here's my advice. Arriving in a new country will give you a burst of newbie energy. Harness this and get out to as many events and meet as many people as you can. Your empty dance card will soon fill up and you can become increasingly more choosy about doing only the things that give you most pleasure. Newbie events are often unstructured and excruciating, so don't be surprised if you find yourself feeling incredibly lonely, sitting in a cafe with a group of people you have no connection with and don't much like. It's a numbers game and the thrill of making one or two real friends can make a lifetime of difference. As the old saying goes, a true friend is the greatest of all blessings and that which we take the least care of all to acquire. Know that, sadly, even people who appear to like you and say that they will contact you will neglect to do so. You will probably find yourself doing this too, so don't take it personally. You will get over it. But do try to be the person who does what they say they are going to do because people remember and you will stand out. Expat life in most places will present you with many occasions to network and join groups and associations. In your haste to try new things, don't discount the familiar and comforting. Meeting people from your professional, ethnic or church group can make you feel more at home and give you a firm platform upon which to spring into new horizons. If you'd rather take out your own appendix with a blunt spoon than attend a networking event, fear not. 
Look for group gatherings where you can combine doing something with meeting people. This is where volunteering, fitness groups, choirs, cultural tours and new language classes come into their own. If you've always fancied learning something new, now is the time. One thing to note, you need a budget for all this turning up. When I arrived, I was mortified that for the first time in my adult life, I wasn't earning any money. It was a huge issue, not for my husband, but for me. In those first few weeks, I hated buying lunch and existed on a meagre diet. This was stupid and made me miserable. Remember, you've invested so much in making an, an, an international move. So don't be stingy with yourself in this vital element of settling in. You don't have to keep up a frenetic pace for long, but the initial few months are important for establishing friendship and a structure in your new country. However, there is no room for complacency. As time goes by, more of your friends will leave to pursue assignments elsewhere or return to their home countries. So you will find yourself having to turn up all over again. Finally, the results of turning up can have some unexpected consequences. In my quest for a job, I decided to apply for any vacancy where my somewhat meagre skills were remotely transferable. This included a maternity cover vacancy as an events manager for the American Association, the association I joined when propelled by Newbie Energy. With more hope than expectation, I applied. Of course, there are many things that need to combine to land you a job, but what's heartening to know is that enormous talent is not always a critical component. Turning up and being in the right place at the right time may, just, may be just enough to swing the dial in your direction. That and a demonstrative positive attitude mixed with palpable enthusiasm. In the, in the case of the events manager vacancy, the fates smiled down and the general manager decided to take a chance and, interviewing me, and interview me. Squeaking with excitement, I eagerly imparted the news to everybody within hailing distance. The reaction, not unsurprisingly, was a bold statement of the obvious. Well, you're not going to get that job. You're not American. But as Robert De Niro said, if you don't go, you'll never know. So go I did. The Americans were brisk and within a day I was informed that I was in. I had a job as an events manager. To the chimes of disbelief all round, I prepared to start work and learn more about the habits needed to make the most of this trailing spouse life. Oh, and I did a series of 10k runs where I was placed in the top 10. Not because I'm a brilliant runner, but because the big girls didn't turn up that day. <laughs> so that's just a, well a little <laughs> excerpt. And, um, and on that note, I'd like to thank everybody again for, for joining me today. Um, you can hear, um, you can learn more about the podcast at uh, celebratingthestory.com and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. It's the Stretford to Singapore podcast. So thank you again. Thank, thank you, you very much. much to be here. Thank you.